Hey guys, welcome back to the WBF podcast. I'm here with Garrett. Garrett, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Glad to be with you. I'm glad to have you, man. I've been super excited about having you on. I was trying to think about one of the first times I actually like met you. And I was thinking back, I think some of the first times I saw you were you gave uh, the morning announcements one morning. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after, that's whenever you were highlighted to me. Shortly after that, you taught on a midweek. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about phones and distractions and this, that, yeah. and the other. And then that's whenever I was like, oh, wow, this guy's got something different. Mm-hmm. And then slowly but surely, you started working your way into the youth. Mm-hmm. And then John announced that you were going to be the youth pastor. Mm-hmm. And so then when we went on the ramp, I really got to see you in action with the kids and your calling. I was like, oh, wow, he's definitely got a calling to this ministry. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really fun. I was pretty reluctant when it came to youth at first. Um, I think that was just my flesh being like, you know, I enjoy teaching adults. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've always... That's what I've always taught, either adults in rehab, adults in jail, mm-hmm. or adults in the church. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest, my first lesson teaching with the youth back here, I started sweating to death. I was so nervous. And Caitlin, she had to go and open both the doors back here in the fellowship hall so a breeze could come through. And I'm like, I'm like nervous. Kids, kids scare me. But uh, mm. the more that I learn about them and the more that I'm back here with them, um, and the more that God reveals to me that it's a generational thing, he's the he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when Pastor John said that and how it was a generational covenant and everything just just blew my mind. And I was like, it is generational, you know. And so I think uh, I think the Lord's placed me here, and um, I'm really excited to see what He's going to be doing through through our youth. I think He's building up some quality kids right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we don't have a huge youth group with middle middle school, high school um, on Wednesday nights. But I think God is really just developing these kids to be some leaders and some voices for, for their generation. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Mm-hmm. How many years have you been ministering, so to speak, now? Um, well, so I got to Lifeline um, in April 2018 and January 2019. Is when I started to teach a class. I call this. Uh, he was my best man at my wedding. His name's John Cox. Um, he was my Barnabas. Um, he was teaching. He was going to take over this class, and um, I was just like, "Hey, man, you think I could, you know, hop in there with you?" Because I know in recovery and and with anything that you got to get plugged in, and um, you know that's how that's how you continue to remain on a. A sober tract is being around like-minded people, plugging yourself in and stuff. So I wanted to plug in. And um, I think my teaching goes as far back of when I was in college. Um, I was taking history classes for a year to be a history teacher. And so I feel like there's always been kind of this um, this calling on my life to be a teacher of some sort. And, mm. you know, now in 2019, in January 2019, when I started to teach, I started to teach and John was began to just be my co-teacher, however you want to yeah. put it. And that's when we really got to see this. That's really when I got to see the Lord using me in my gifting to be able to teach and just be able to convey the word. And, and he just, I can just read the word, man. And it's just like, I understand it. You know, mm-hmm. of course I study and stuff. I'm not saying I know all of that. I don't want to make it sound like that, but it's just like, I can read it and I can see it, you know? And, mm-hmm. 
I, I just believe that's part of the part of my calling and stuff. So. For sure. Yeah. There's something about it when it starts coming alive to people and you're understanding it. Um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned you, you wanted to be a teacher at one point because there was a season long ago that that's kind of something that I thought I would like doing oh, nice. being a teacher. I feel like I have a similar gifting in teaching. I don't know exactly what that looks like, mm-hmm. but I'm finding my ministry as, as I move along. But yeah, I thought teaching would be awesome. Teaching to the next generation, mm-hmm. uh, making sense of stuff that they might not get. It just seems to come natural to me. Mm-hmm. And then I realized how much schooling it took. And I was like, no, thanks. I don't yeah. want to have to get a bachelor's. And then a few years later, I have to get a master's. I hated, I hated, class as a student but i always thought i would like being like a teacher Mm -hmm. so let's let's go back a little bit farther back to whenever you were younger what was church life for like for you whenever you were like growing up um so i grew up in this town i grew up in all kinds of towns but really my my main childhood i think of is um when i grew up in hardin kentucky um my mom was a single mom i was a single child so I was a mama's boy and, mm. you know, I was her, uh, her golden child. Cause I was the only one that could be cause I was <laughs> the only child, but, um, you know, church for me at a young age, I was telling the kids the other day that I went, I went to youth from sixth to eighth grade mm-hmm. and I didn't get saved until I was 26. Mm. Um, now I'm not saying that there wasn't seeds planted and stuff like that. Cause I actually got to go back two Sundays ago and preach at the church that I went to, I was in youth through the sixth to eighth grade. And it was so cool because cool it got to see some full circle things. And you know, I got to walk around the church a little bit and just be like, man, I remember, remember mm-hmm. here. I remember being in here. You know, I remember being in the service. I got baptized because all my friends were getting baptized. Mm-hmm. Wasn't saved, you know. Um, <laughs> and that's at no fault of like the youth leaders and, and stuff like that. Church, when I was a kid, was just somewhere where we could go shoot basketball, play games, I had my friends, um, mm-hmm. you know, there were also some friends from school there too. So it was always, it was always fun and I always enjoyed it. Um, I do think that God planted a seed through this song. Um, I'm not a very good singer, but it is, uh, our God is an awesome God. He reigns, you know what song I'm talking from about? Heaven up. Yeah. yeah. And so when I heard that song on a Sunday morning there, it just was like, it just spoke to me and it just stuck with me for for years, even even when I wasn't following the Lord um, or in the midst of my addiction, I would hear that every now and then. I don't know mm-hmm. how I would hear it, but I'd hear it every now and then. And it was just, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I like the rhythm to that song. But actually, the words were speaking to me, you know. Yeah, that 90, I, I don't know what song that was written, but I, I kind of consider that like 90s contemporary Christian. That's what I grew up with, man. I, that was always blasting. So songs like that. They have that nostalgic vibe. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so cool to get to go back to like a church you haven't been to in a while and yeah. like walk the halls and have some of those memories. Mm-hmm. I definitely think, you know, church was like a lifestyle for my family, but I definitely I met my best friend in church. So I definitely there was that saying like coming to church was like also a time to hang, you know, just a oh, good place sure. to hang. And so I definitely uh vibe with that. Mm-hmm. So then you go into high school and you just you guys got out of church and yeah um we moved when you say you moved did you move like quite a lot when you were yeah when i was when i was growing up i went to i think four different elementary schools wow um jonathan creek benton south marshall and uh red bank elementary down in chattanooga 
Okay. Um, and so my mom's work was always kind of moving her around and stuff like that. She got married and we moved to Simpsonia. Um, and then I don't even remember where we were living when I was in high school. Um, no idea. Um, can't remember. But um, yeah, so in high school, I, I wasn't I wasn't in church or, or anything like that. Um, I think it was really just because we moved. My mom wasn't. We weren't going to church together um, or anything like that. But my mom, she's been a believer her whole life, you know, um, mm-hmm. since she was eight, she got saved or, or seven. Um, and so she's been a believer her whole life, but we haven't always been in church. And there was a few times where we had where we did try to go to church, but we, um, you know, a single mom and a single child was sometimes looked down upon when it came to mm. um you know, just some, some churches and that's not representative of church as whole and stuff, but you know, some, some people are stuck in their ways about things and right. we had some church hurt and then, you know, we just didn't go back. But in, in high school, I played baseball and that's what I did. That was my church. Um, and my mom worked all the time. So, you know, we didn't really, we didn't really attend during those years. It makes me wonder for people out there who are, who do, you know, move a lot because of work, how how do they stay plugged in? Because I, I could imagine that being tough to do because, mm-hmm. you know, we want to believe that every church is full of love. And it's some, sometimes it's just sadly not the case. Yeah. And you can have people get burnt out so quick. So for people to be seeking him while they're traveling and mm-hmm. just trusting in him, that's that's huge. And finding a ministry that they can connect with, it, it's got to be tough. But yeah. I guess the what like. The only thing I can think of is just keep on trying, right? Like yeah. what else can you do in that situation? Yeah, just being just being consistent and trying to to seek where the Lord wants you to to go whenever whenever God called us away from our church prior to coming to Faith Center, you know, we didn't know that Faith Center was going to be our destination. Right. Um we were just knowing that God was calling us away and you know, we kind of had a a map laid out that we were going to go to different churches within the area. Um, we were going to stop here first and just, you know, come to a couple Sunday services. We know quite a few people here, even prior to becoming members and, and stuff. Um, but, you know, God just really kept us here and, and highlighted this place for us. But <clears throat> we did have that plan to be consistent because when we know God was calling us away, we're like, well, where do you want us to go? And he didn't he didn't tell us until, you know, we went there and he showed us and revealed it to us. And, um, yeah, I guess just consistency would be. My parents went through a changing of churches whenever I was like a baby. So I don't really remember Heartland very well, but my parents got married in Heartland and my mom had gone there for years and my dad just felt like he would not that Heartland doesn't do amazing things. Um, whenever I had Pastor John on, he felt an altar call for the ministry there uh, at Heartland. And so they're, they're not that they're not having amazing things happen there, but my dad just didn't feel like he was getting filled up spiritually. Right. So they had to transition to uh, first Assembly of God Church in Mayfield. And then slowly but surely we found here whenever I was a little kid. So for me, this has been a consistent church family for me. And then I had years of not going to church. And then there was a, few years where i tried other churches nothing else nothing else made sense this this place just has always been home to me Mm -hmm. i think part of that was like the awkwardness of coming back and being around people who 
saw you when you were 16 and now you're 20 something. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's just that like, you just immediately wonder if people are going to judge you. And sure. we have such an amazing church family that they didn't. Then they've showed me love ever since I've been back and mm-hmm. been really consistent in coming back. So you, you said baseball was your church. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Like it, you made it like your life, right? Oh yeah. It was, it was my life. I started playing when I was about nine or so. My mom, I've always wanted to play and my mom, she was always the kind of person, the kind of parent that would just be like, all right, you're doing it, you know, and mm. just kind of push me out there to do it. Cause as a kid, you know, some kids are super uh, like gung ho and they just go for it. And then some kids are like, no, I don't want to do it. I'm super shy. Well, I was the super shy one. Mm. Um, and so she pushed me into playing baseball. And my very first year I played, I was awful. I was awful, but I was awful because I wouldn't swing the bat or, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't really know how to play or anything. How old were you? Do you, do you remember? Probably about nine or, or 10, somewhere it's in there. It's a late start. It was know. a late start. Yeah. I wish I would have played um, at a younger age and stuff. But yeah, when I got to high school, that's really when baseball became kind of my church. It was, there was nothing godly about what I was, you know, doing, but that was mm-hmm. just like where I spent my time, where I devoted my time and, um, where I placed my hope, faith, and trust in, I placed it in baseball. And, you know, I was I was pretty good. I had full ride scholarships offered to me at a junior in high school. Um I was I was a catcher and then from my sophomore to junior year, I began working out every morning at Mega Gym, me and a, a buddy that I met in, in youth from those sixth to eighth grade mm-hmm. years. Um he was in high school at the time. And so we used to go to Mega Gym like every morning workout, then practice, all that good stuff. And I seen my my fastball velo go from about or velocity go from about eighty four to eighty six my sophomore year to ninety ninety one my junior year. So I seen that that increase in that bump. And my my head coach was like, All right, Hunt, because that's my last name. <laughs> He's like, Are you either gonna be a catcher or you're gonna pitch? And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna pitch. I never pitched like like pitch, pitch, you know, like in, in the art form of pitching. And so, um, I, be- I became a pitcher that year and man, it was, uh, it was fantastic. And then these colleges started seeing and, and stuff like that. And they started offering me scholarships and, you know, that's, that's what I placed all my, my hope, faith and trust in was baseball that I was going to make it. But mm-hmm. you know, yeah. So your junior year, you start springing off. You said that you weren't, living completely right at that point had you already started dabbling in other things yet no not yet i would say i wasn't living right when it came to you know the biblical worldview and and everything i wasn't a bad kid um gotcha pretty pretty laid back um pretty chill i was prideful I, i was prideful um when it came to you know my athletics and stuff just like a lot of athletes in high school and stuff like that they can be they can be prideful and stuff but Mm -hmm. i didn't really start dabbling into any drinking or smoking on a consistent basis um until after my sophomore year that's some i mean my senior year that summer after Mm. my senior year when i started playing this traveling collegiate team we went to evansville nashville you know we were we were going all over the place playing in these tournaments and stuff and you get a bunch of you know, kids straight out of high school. Um, oh yeah, maybe some freshmen in in college. Some you know, we 
you get us there and we're all just staying in a hotel and and stuff like that and so mm-hmm. you know we we were smoking and and drinking and really just dabbling into that not a not a whole lot you know just on the weekends but yeah yeah so well, had you had the injury yet before you got out of high school or when did you get injured no i got injured my third year in college oh wow um i played 2 years at Ren Lake in southern illinois um, it's a junior college, a D1 junior college. Um, and then I went to Kentucky Wesleyan and Owensboro. It's a D2 um, school. And I got hurt a few months after being there. I'll, I'll never forget it. I was throwing a bullpen, which is like a practice pitching session. And mm-hmm. it felt like a knife just kind of stuck down through the top of my right shoulder. And it hurt really, really bad. And um, I pitched one game after that. I came in to, to relieve another pitcher, um, and my arm's been hurting, and I was trying to just really ignore it and fight through that. You know, maybe it was just kind of, you know, maybe I tweaked something a little bit. You know, I wasn't, I was pretty concerned because it was um, very painful. Um, and I went in there to pitch. I warmed up, and man, I'm, you know, like I said, my, my fastball velo was like 90, 91. Um, and then I get, I have that injury and I'm throwing like 80, 82 miles an hour. Mm. I cannot get anything on it. I go in and throw a couple pitches in that game and I call, I call my head coach out to the mound and I was like, man, I, I can't, I'm hurt. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I went to, uh, I went to the doctor, had a slap tear in my shoulder, which is the worst injury a pitcher can have. Um, if anyone's familiar with baseball terminology you can get a tommy john mm-hmm. which is the ucl in your elbow you can tear that it can fall out of your arm and you can pick it up off the ground and <laughs> they'll just stitch it back in there and you're good to go in six months but yeah shoulder injuries are are a lot more difficult and delicate when it comes to it and the first thing the doctor told me when uh he came into the room after all the imaging and stuff he said can you play another position And at that point, my mom, she broke down crying. Mm. And of course, me being just like super nonchalant, who cares? You know, I was like, no, all I've known is is pitching, you know. Um, And so I had the surgery to to fix it. Um, I don't know if it was successful or not. Um, My arm still hurts and goes numb all the time um, Mm. because of that injury. but, you know, when I when I realized I wasn't going to be able to play anymore, I actually just packed up my stuff in the middle of the night when I was in college and just loaded my car up and never, never looked back. And then wow. when I came here to Marshall County, um, that's when I was that's when I really just kind of was like, you know, what, I'm just going to take a year off of college. The worst lie you could ever tell yourself ever. So if you're listening and you're going to tell yourself you're going to take a year off college, mm. don't do that. Yeah, because um, you won't go back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just started, uh, smoking and, and drinking and just playing Xbox with my buddies. Uh, you know, I thought I was, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'll just, I'm hurt, blah, blah, blah. Um, but just going to enjoy life. And just going to enjoy it, man. Then eight yeah. years later, boom. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how that happens, man. You know, yeah. You're, you're so right about the Tommy John with, you know, medic, medical staff as it is now, it, it makes people better at pitching whenever they get the Tommy Johns, like their arm yeah. after they recover. It's, I know a little bit about that just from mm-hmm. watching baseball over the years and that surgery's gotten better and better. But when you rip 
tear up your shoulder, that's pretty hard to, yeah. uh, they can't really do it like they can with your elbow. No. You know, it's so funny whenever you're young and dumb and well, I was young and dumb and I convinced myself that the smoking was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, my family told me it wasn't and no. I was like being prideful mm-hmm. and I just convinced myself I was just having a good time all the way until where that was taken away from me. And then I had a season of drinking and it was like, I'm 21, 22. This is, this is the years you drink. This is when everyone does it. And it leads you into, like you said, a few years down the road and Mm -hmm. bam, it hits you in the face. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just telling the, the youth last night, I don't know if you were back in there or not, but I said, you know, people don't get addicted because the drug doesn't make them feel good, you Mm -hmm. know, or the drinking doesn't make them feel good. You get addicted because you feel good. It Mm -hmm. makes you feel good. And then, like you said, when you're in those years where society says like, oh, you're 21, you're in college now. Guess what college kids do? They drink, smoke, get high. They do any, they do all this kind of stuff, barely make it to class, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And you get into those, those years. And so the world begins to influence you and you know, some people can walk out of college and not be addicted or anything, but then there's some there's some people like myself and and others that you ingrain a lifestyle. If you sit there and drink hardcore every single, let's just say weekend, yeah. you think you're going to stop that when you get out of school? You right. know, what about when you uh, get a job for the degree that you just got? You know, mm-hmm. and a lot of people. They, they can't get their feet underneath them because they're so used to just drinking and and just living that kind of lifestyle um, through their college years and stuff. So It's like you make the excuse for the weekend. Well, then sometimes the, the party doesn't come on the weekend. So you make an excuse to just drink by yourself or with one person or two people rather than having the whole squad together. <laughs> and that just snowballs. You know, mm-hmm. for me, whenever I was smoking I started off with marijuana. I didn't even like drinking. Like mm-hmm. I, I was kind of a baby to it. It kind of, I didn't like the taste. It was like hard for me to drink it in the first place. So I'll just stick with my weed. And so I, that's all I did. That was my identity mm-hmm. for a long time was just smoking a bunch of weed. I Absolutely. Mean, my, my first few checks or my first part of few checks whenever I got a job was gas money and weed money <laughs> and getting some McDonald's on the side. Yeah. And I, to me, I was living the dream. You know what I mean? I wasn't saving up. And I look back at those years where I was like, man, I could have saved up. I could have had a house by now. But, Mm -hmm. you know, God's got a plan for me. Yeah, I had a similar experience happen on July 4th. We went to uh, we went to see the fireworks in Calvert and um, Mm -hmm. driving through there and stuff. I kind of got mad at myself because, you know, growing up in Marshall County, um, and, and everything I've driven all kinds of roads. I've went to all kinds of different houses and, you know, got drugs there, um, got high there, drove down this road and what, and, and sometimes when I do those things, my brain and, you know, some part, sometimes I think it's just the way I think, cause I sit here and think all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes I think it's attack from the enemy being like, Hey man, remember when you got, got mm-hmm. high over at that house. And so after the fireworks, you know, I'm supposed to be enjoying this time with my family. And I'm telling my wife, Leslie, I'm just like, I'm mad at myself mm-hmm. because as we drive around, I'm like, look, my brain and the enemy's just like, look at all the places you got high. But the new me is like, how much time did I waste being an idiot? Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I give myself, I give myself grace. Um, 
and and God, He was working. He works all things um, for good according to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, man. And um, when I told Leslie that, she said exactly that. She's like, "Just thank God, like thank God for how far He's brought you, you mm-hmm. know." And and it's a, a solemn reminder for for everyone who's went through a time of life like that, where you think about your old past and you know. When you think about the old you, you can appreciate the new you a lot more mm. um, and what he's done in your life. So I think as like men, and I, I, I'm sure women deal with this to some degree, but I, I like to try to speak from the men perspective because that's what I am. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's really easy to beat up on ourselves. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And so like it's easy to get angry with yourself, but mm-hmm. we've got to realize that God's got grace on us. Mm -hmm. And if we can get into that thankful mindset you were talking about and being grateful for what we have now, it will help us in those moments of anger. Because I do a lot of that same self uh, introspection, whatever the word is, and self-loathing. And then it's Mm -hmm. like, what am I doing to myself? I used to do it a lot whenever I was drinking, just self-loathing and just beating myself up like I'm a punching bag. And as I'm sober now, I'm trying to break those chains off yeah. of myself of that you're nothing what did you wasted all this time mm-hmm. time is time is precious mm-hmm. yeah it's gone but i can't do anything about it i gotta move forward in this path and like you know the best thing about grace and what god can do is he can use us and multiply what we're going to do in the years to come to make up for what we might have lost out on i yeah. truly believe in that there's a there's a saying and i'm I always say, you know, hey, it's kind of it's kind of corny, but it's awesome. And it may not be corny. Maybe I just think it's corny. Uh, but it's uh, God can turn your mess into a message. Mm. I heard that a long time ago when I was in recovery. And I was just like, you know what? He can. He can take your mess, the mess that you did. What we were trying to do, the enemy may have been working through us to destroy, you know, kill, steal, and destroy. We were also working, we were co-partnering with Satan to kill, steal, and destroy our own lives. Right. And then God comes in and he grabs us, sanctifies us, takes that whole mess, builds a brand new beautiful house with it, and then invites people into it so he can share his goodness with them through us. And, you know, it's really cool to to have those moments like that, you know? Yeah. So... You, you've been mentioned in recovery a couple of times. Yeah. And it started off with smoking weed mm-hmm. and drinking alcohol. Well, how did that snowball into the other? Um, you know, I, I caught a little glimpse of your testimony. and I was like, man, the one week he's telling a little bit about his testimony. I'm trying to do another <laughs> podcast. And of course, right before mm-hmm. I, have, I was like, it's okay. I'll, I'll get to hear it on the podcast yeah, in yeah. real time. But um, you're talking about like getting into tarot cards a little bit and, and stuff like, yeah. wh- like where did all that start? Yeah. And so like, I'll go back to the first question you asked about yeah, sorry, drinking and smoking. Bit. And, you know, it really started that summer, um, that collegiate, that collegiate team I played for, we were smoking what they called K2, which was the synthet- synthetic marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, to not get drug to not get caught on a drug test, you gotta smoke the stuff that don't show up on a drug test. Um they drug tested you for baseball? Yeah, in college. Um, gotcha. And so that's we smoked that all through college, like every single day, um, drinking, smoking, and you know, did the same stuff when I got to my new school. Um, and that was a really hard transition for me, to be honest, going from Rin Lake to Kentucky Wesleyan. 
Um, I only went with one guy from Ren Lake to Kentucky Wesley, and he was our starting catcher. So I knew him pretty well. Um, we have to have a pretty good relationship. It was me being a starting pitcher, and he's right. our starting catcher. Um, but he was a completely different mindset than I was. He wasn't a drinking, smoking heathen. You know, he was he was serious about his school. He was serious about his stuff. And so I had to find other people. And I found myself around some people that um, I didn't really like that much, but I could get high. <laughs> and when I look back at that, that's when I really seen my first indication of that I was falling into an addiction because I was beginning to surround myself with people I don't like who didn't have aspirations mm. just so I could get high. Mm. Um, and then I got hurt, left, came back to Marshall County, um, and I sort of hanging out with one of my best friends at the time. And, you know, he was, he was drinking, smoking, you know, whatever, like we talked about people do it, kids do it when mm -hmm. they're, um, you know, that age and stuff. And so we started hanging around another guy who, um, just wasn't a very good influence. And, you know, I, I love the dude. He's, he was one of my friends, you know, um, Loved him and still love him to this day and, and stuff. I, th I think he's doing pretty good. I think he's sober and stuff now, which is always fantastic to see. Um, but what began to happen was he had his own place. Um, and we would go over there. We'd set up all our TVs and Xboxes in the, in the living room. We'd all hook up, play Halo, Call of Duty, Battlefield, mm -hmm. you know, whatever we could play, you know, living, living our best life, Joel Steen, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And so we... Uh, I remember he broke out a Laura tab and, you know, he crushed it up and everything and, you know, he, he divided it up and, and he asked me if I wanted a line of it mm -hmm. and everything inside of me screamed. No, you know what I'm saying? I know what there, feeling. there was like, everything was like, like I knew it was bad. You know, I didn't think that smoking and drinking was bad, right. but I knew that snorting pills was bad mm -hmm. but i did it anyways um and then from that moment on i desensitized myself to that drug and to that form of taking the drug mm -hmm. and so then anytime pills were offered i never swallowed pills you know i didn't want to take a handful i wanted to do a huge line you know that's just what i wanted to do I, rush yeah and i make the joke like anything that you had that i could put up my nose I was doing it. Um, yeah. And so it moved from Laura tabs. Um, you know, for a couple years, we did that. My buddy's mom actually went to prison for two years because she was stealing from the pharmacy that she worked at. Mm. She would give them to us. We would sell them, blah, blah, you know, all that, she all that stuff. Prescriptions and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, she was stealing them from the actual. Just taking them. Yeah. I think they, they were the expired ones, mm. you know, and so she was stealing them. I don't know all the details on that, but so doing, doing some lore tabs and stuff. And then I got introduced to, um, Adderall, which was a stimulant mm -hmm. and we would, we would do Adderall all night long, all day, you know, and then that's what I realized. That's what I liked the most was a stimulant. Gotcha. Um, and then again, um, my buddy, same guy that offered me the Lord tab. I didn't even know anything about meth. 
You know, I didn't know people that did meth. I was probably just ignorant to it. There's probably people around me doing it. Um, mm -hmm. But I remember he called me into the the bathroom, which is a you know your typical place for drug users to go is the bathroom right. um, to do drugs. <laughs> yep. um, and so he called me back in there and and he was like, "Hey, you want to do this?" I was like, "What is it?" And he's like, "It's meth. It's dope." And I was like, "Well, I always said I'll try any drug once, you mm -hmm. know." And I did that. And there's a reason. There's a reason that there is a meth epidemic going on because it's good, yeah. you know, and, and the way it makes you feel and the confidence and the high and everything. I mean, um, there's a reason that so many people struggle with that drug. Um, mm -hmm. And once I did that, it was it was game over. That was it. I didn't want to do anything else. There was mm -hmm. nothing else that I could that could touch that. Um, and I was like, oh, wow, it's cheaper. You know, it's cheaper than buying 10 lore tabs. You can just, well, I don't, $25, right. you know, was good. But then once I started doing it, $25 was to get you out of bed. $25 mm -hmm. was to get you to a place where, um, you might feel normal. Um, $25 got you to not want to be suicidal. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you know, it, at first it seems like everything that you could ever want. And I, I believe it's absolutely satanic and demonic, um, and meth going back to the tarot cards and everything that you were, that you made mention of meth was the thing that I started doing when I began to seek, um, to be more spiritual is what I call myself. I was spiritual quote unquote. Mm. Um, and the thing that really jumped me into that, you know, um, was the zodiac signs. I don't know if you're in there when I made mention of that to them, mm -hmm. but you know, the one time, the one time a zodiac sign like told me my day was going to be bad. My day was bad. You know, I was like, Oh, I'm putting, I'm going all in on that. I'm going to download the app. I'm going to turn the notifications on mm -hmm. and I'm going to, I'm going to trust in my zodiac sign. Wow. Um, and then as I got more into um, my meth addiction, I encountered some some friends that were uh, hyper spiritual. You know, they were into tarot cards and, and all that kind of stuff. And we would sit there, and they would she she would do it, um, but she would ask me like, "Hey, you want to get your cards read?" And blah blah. I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely." And they would she would do it, and I'm like, "This is like really scary. It's scary accurate. It didn't scare me because I didn't know it was linked to demonic spirits. Right. You know, I didn't know that kind of stuff." Um, it's more just like a, whoa, that's so yeah. true. Or well, I thought I found truth, man. Mm -hmm. You know, um, everyone, everyone's searching for some sort of truth. Um, and there is an absolute truth out there. But I thought I, I thought I figured it out. I, I, was, I thought I was like, you know what? Like, finally, I can have some sort of purpose and understanding of this life. Mm -hmm. um, but in reality, I was just being deceived the entire time through drugs, through tarot cards, um, zodiac signs, um, even as a kid, mess with some Ouija boards and um, just a lot of stuff has happened in my life that when I look at it, you know, you can't tell me that there's not a spiritual realm. You know, even even if I never came to know Christ, you could not tell me that there's not a spiritual realm because I've encountered it and experienced it. Um, both sides. Both sides. Yeah. 
both sides. Yeah. That's yeah. There's a spiritual, some people just want to make everything scientific and the world and explain everything away. And then there's the other set of people who, who know that there's something else out there, but they seek it in other ways, right? They seek it mm-hmm. in card readings and, and they, they, they don't even realize that they're pu- pushing into demonic uh, yeah. presences and stuff. Going back real quick mm-hmm. to the first time you did the lower tabs, you said you felt that like screaming, like, no, don't yeah. do it. You had that urge, oh, man, that urge is so strong. It's like the world can like slow down for a second and you, you mm-hmm. feel this moment of pressure, but it's so funny how that that's a slippery slope to when, when you get to the meth and then it's like, I'll try anything at once. Yeah. You didn't have that same fear, right? Whenever no. you did it, it's like, you don't even realize you're numbing yourself. Yeah. And your conscience is, you know, the Bible tells us you can have a seared conscience. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, you're just searing the inside man to numbing yourself and to all of these feelings. And you're not even realizing how easy you're making it. Cause there was times whenever I'd feel guilty to do the stuff I did, but slowly, but surely. Mm-hmm. And I used to defend marijuana. I used to be a marijuana oh, advocate. I'd be like, what? Absolutely. I mean, it, you know, yeah. I, I remember my one, my one semester of college, I wrote, uh, I did a de- debate class and I wrote a debate for the advocacies of marijuana. <laughs> and I look back and I'm like, man, that put me around some really sketchy people. Yeah. I've had guns pulled out in front of me. I've had guns pointed at my friend and me. Like I've had moments that I could have died, you know, there were, and it led to me being around. I, will, I have been around pills. My, some of my buddies got into pills in middle school, high school, like maybe early high school. They were starting to do pills in the bathroom. And I, I never experienced, I never did that because I knew I had an addictive personality already. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to try that. It's good you know. Good yeah, you know. I knew, I, but with the drinking, there was no screaming. Yeah. By the by, the time I got to the point of drinking, I should have known. I still had the addictive personality. I should have known what it was going to lead into, but I didn't have that same. I, I was already numb. I was already numb, and it you know being around marijuana, it is a gateway drug. It does put you 100%. in front of pills that put you in front of i've been i've been around meth i've been around lsd and mushrooms and all this other yeah. stuff so it is a gateway drug because it will put you around people who you don't like as much but they have the stuff to mm-hmm. do and it will put you around i i've smoked out of a pipe before and someone said oh that that just had crack in it just a, a minute ago <laughs> or hit, hit a blunt and say that's spice that's not really weed oh, that gosh. that's the k2 or whatever yeah. you know there were so many different types of that um uh crap <laughs> that legal weed that you could yeah. buy off the counters and stuff but yeah it's so crazy how it's it slopes you into mm-hmm. and you know the thing about meth I, I haven't done it but i i know people who have done it it kind of makes you paranoid right yeah um especially man i could so you're kind of so, getting paranoid and you're reading these cards and you're getting these spiritual awarenesses of yeah. stuff and it, that had to have been like well, I'll tell you what, man. Um, and I made mention to the kids last night because we one with kids, you just got to be like real with them. You know, the, the this generation seeks authenticity. And mm. If they see that you're not authentic, they don't they don't want nothing of it. Um, mm-hmm. But I was telling them that this experience I had was kind of um, not kind of. I know for a fact, looking back, that God pulled back the veil. You know, and I don't know if you were in there when I was mentioning that to him, but there was this time where I seen demonic spirits. I seen the evil within the hearts of men. 
Mm. Um, and the only thing that could push back the evil that was trying to encompass me, man, was I called my mom and we've encountered stuff like this before. Mm. I called her. I said, mom, there's a, there's a demon here. And she said, it's funny. She said, Garrett, you will never be able to defeat a demon. And I asked her, I said, can you just tell me of a time that fills your heart with love or whatever, when you think Mm -hmm. about me? And she was telling me about this time when she dropped me off or when I went to get on the school bus when I was a kindergartner, uh, the first time or preschool, whatever. Um, And she said that when I saw the bus drive away, you know, I just loved you so much. And I was just, you know, it was hard to let you go. And I'm telling you what, man, when she started telling me that, it was like love was driving out the darkness and it was pushing it all back. It was like this giant dome that was pushing everything back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always say this little asterisk when I talk about this time is that even though I was in the midst of a meth addiction, I was not high for these three days that this happened to me. Got you. Um, I've slept. I've ate. You know, I was... I was ready to go. Um, mm-hmm. We just couldn't get any, could get any drugs. I'm glad you clarified that because some people would be like, "He was just high." I know, and I, I always say that, you know. And it's so crazy. I'll show you Sunday when you come over. Okay. Um, I'll show you the book and the notes that I took down um, from those three days. It was August 27th, 28th, and 29th of 2017. That was a big witchcraft witchcraft event because of the eclipse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe God pulled back the curtain of the spiritual. He let me see everything that was going on, scared me to death. I didn't leave the house. I kept going back to this house um, for three days because this was a place that I hung out at and it was a place that I had, you know, friends at. Mm -hmm. And so I went back and every time I went back, it was because I needed to make sure what I was experiencing was real. And every day I experienced more and more at that place. Wow. And, uh, it was crazy. It was, it was crazy. And so God takes, he's shown me all that so that when I get to this side of it, I can see what I was actually doing and going against Hmm. and what was actually holding on to me, you know? Yeah. So you were seeing demons, you were seeing Mm -hmm. like beings and yeah, absolutely, man. It was, um, it was, um, it was terrifying. Um, in the sense that like, it was not a darkness with just the absence of light. It was physical. It was like a mm. physical darkness that if I stepped into it, it felt like it was going to kill me. It was felt like it was going to overtake me, you know. Um, and I, I, I could see these these spirit beings, um, and I could see, and I can back it up with scripture from what I was seeing on the friends on my friends' faces, where their teeth were like knives. Mm. Um, it's actually in Proverbs or or one of the Psalms um, about talking about how evil men will have teeth like knives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, it was, it was a really, it was a really crazy experience. Um, and I've made mention earlier that me and my mom, we've, we've seen spiritual stuff our entire lives. I mean, our entire lives has been, there's been some sort of spiritual activity going on. Um, probably because of open doors, generational curses, mm-hmm. um, all that all that awesome stuff that happens a lot with people and their families. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was a, it was a crazy time. It was a crazy time. I have a couple of buddies. One of my best friends, um, he lived in a house that was next to like a graveyard. 
that had civil war vets or something and, and he saw ghosts he saw familiar spirits he just didn't know it was a demon or yeah. whatever um and also my buddy who passed away he used to see demons quite often we'd be we'd be camped up in his little like full-size bed like shoulder to shoulder and he'd be like i see a demon in the corner and I, me trying to be you know faithful i'd try to pray and and tell it to leave you know in jesus name and occasionally the demon would disappear or whatever. And, um, you know, near the end of his life, whenever he was, he was really battling with depression mm-hmm. and he had very vivid dreams. He was a dreamer. So he had visions and dreams and they started turning into night terrors. And I didn't know this at the time cause he wasn't sharing. He was sharing it with his fiance at the time and other friends of mine that he was having dreams of him passing away. Wow. And he was like telling them what he wanted to be done whenever he passed. Wow. And I think he didn't tell me because I would have immediately spoke against it and tried to get him into a different, because when you speak that stuff, you're giving it power. Absolutely. You're giving it authority. And he gave, and sadly, you know, it ended up, he gave it enough authority to where mm-hmm. what he spoke did come to fruition. His dreams did come true, sadly. And when you look at those dark moments mm-hmm. and you realize how, close you could have been to possibly death or destruction yeah what does that make you feel well um kind of how i I told you earlier when we were driving through marshall county and i got i got mad and stuff um at myself Mm -hmm. um but like my wife how she's so good at at reeling me back in because i can i can be one that that spirals um Mm -hmm. in a sense like i can just overthink you can say you can text me a, a message and I'll be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna think way too deep about this message right now. You know, can I say something real quick. Every time I text you, I'm like, I hope that didn't come off. I do the same thing because I'm like working, and sometimes <laughs> I'll just try to text quick, and then in texting quick, I'm like, did I sound like a jerk just then? And I overthink <laughs> it for like the next like 30 minutes while I'm driving mail. So oh, that's funny that you that you do that. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> that is funny. Um, but yeah, when I think about those, um, when I think about those times and, and everything, I just, I just can't help but to think of, you know, God's grace and his mercy in my life and, and how, how much of a slap in the face I was living a life away from God, you know, like just mm-hmm. slapping him in the face with everything that I could do. And yet he continued to, to show me grace and show me more grace and, and continue to keep to allow me to live because eventually June 17th, 2018 Garrett would give his life to Christ. And mm-hmm. when I gave my life to Christ, all that spiritual stuff that, um, I seen happening, God opened my eyes spiritually to see him, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, I love my salvation experience and it's one of my, my greatest testimonies and and stuff because when i got saved i got saved in a a classroom at rehab on a a hard floor but the the holy spirit was convicting me into salvation so hard that day that i couldn't i couldn't turn i couldn't just like grieve the spirit you know and so i gave my life to christ i confessed jesus as lord i believe that god raised him from the dead on the third day and you know romans 10 10 9 and when I walked outside, I seen I seen the sky, I seen the grass, I seen these cows, 
Mm. You know, and I was, and I said these exact words. I was like, oh my gosh, I have been so blind. Mm. I will never stop speaking of your goodness. That's what I told God as I stood outside this rehab. It was a nice sunny day. And I'll show you when we go, when you come over in my office, I have this big 24 by 36 poster mm-hmm. that I took with my phone of that, of that scene. Mm. Um, I went back because it's at Lifeline. I've worked there and everything. Um, and so I took a picture of it. It's a bright, nice blue sky, green trees, green grass, all that kind of stuff. But every morning that I study, I can look up and see what I saw when I got saved. And it's, mm. it's fantastic, you know, and when I think about all the bad stuff and all the stuff that I did to, to hurt people and, and stuff, I'm just like, I hope they see Christ in me now. Mm. You know? I, I hope I can just make an in, a dent in what I've done, you know, giving people the, the first hit of marijuana mm-hmm. or, or, you know, the, the, the destruction that I caused along the way. Well, I'll tell you, man, it did come full circle. Cause I grew up without a dad. Um, right. And so playing baseball, my best friend, his name was Jordan. His dad became my dad. Mm. He was there with me through high school, through all my years of addiction, all these things. And, uh, I believe it was March 20 or May 28th, 2020. He had a health scare and, uh, you know, um, his, his daughter called me and was like, Garrett, because they know I follow the Lord. They, they know it. They see it now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is 2020. So I've been following the Lord for what, almost two years um, at this point. And so I go to his house and um, I just wanted, you know, to see him because he's like my dad. Mm. Um, and then I asked him point blank. And this is what one of my uh, mentors told me to do before he passed away is, if you ask someone if they're saved, you know, a lot of people probably just say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then you ask them the question, well, what makes you think that? Mm. And so then they have to think about, well, I, I got baptized. And then there leaves that opportunity for you to show them and, and lead them in, the, in salvation and show them what true salvation is through the word and everything. Mm-hmm. But I went to his house and I told him, I was like, John, I was like, you know who I used to be. Because I, I did some stuff to the family that really hurt him and, and broke me and my best friend apart for, I mean, he was my best friend since I was like 10, you know, yeah. um, broke us apart and everything. And I went over there and I told him all this and I shared with him the gospel and asked him about, you know, if he knew the Lord and I was able to lead him, you know, through the, through a prayer, um, which I know, you know, I'll, I'll put an asterisk there, like just because you lead someone into prayer doesn't mean that they're getting saved. You know, obviously their faith has to play a part into believing and just right. really just praying with him and, and showing him what scripture says. But anyways, that day he got saved and I know he got saved because during the prayer, he just got the Holy spirit just fell upon him and he just started weeping mm-hmm. in his bed, you know, and he's like, he's probably like 500 pounds right now, you know, wow. pretty bedridden. And stuff and he just started crying and he was just like lord save me mm-hmm. you know um and then he died probably a few probably a month and a half ago he mm-hmm. died and his family asked me to speak at the funeral um you know and so god brings things full circle mm-hmm. um and it was just such an incredible an incredible moment 
that I can look at because even though I went through all those years, it may have not, if it wouldn't have been for those years, John may have never seen a changed person in Christ Mm -hmm. and then believe in the power that Jesus can save and change one's heart. And then through that, you know, get to speak at the funeral and then people see the power of God. They don't see me, they see what Jesus can do, you know, and it's, that's what I really like to think about when it comes to, you know, my past. Did God, did I fall away and was I separated? Absolutely. But did God take all of that to bring one into his kingdom? If it's just one, absolutely. But then there's been probably about seven or about seven other men that have come to me and asked about salvation that I've been over to been able to share with them and pray with them and stuff. And it's just been praise the Lord. It's been awesome, man. Yeah. Anytime you're having a downward spiral and this is for me too. And anyone out there try to remember those moments. And like you said, you have the poster, but you also have these amazing encounters where because of the testimony of what Jesus did in you, uh, people's eternity was able to change in an instant. Mm -hmm. Their eternity, their eternal, you know, I like to call the eternal mindset. Their eternity was completely changed. Yeah. You know, not because of Garrett, but because of Jesus in you. Yeah. You know, they got to see the change in you. They saw what what Garrett could do on his own. They've seen what they've seen what <laughs> yeah. Daniel could do on his own. And it wasn't much. I didn't do much of any good. But now, you know, we rely on him and that can help us whenever we're having those downward spirals. And something you keep on mentioning whenever you were having those moments is your wife. Yeah. And like how important it is to have a godly woman. Like I'm, I'm so blessed. And I know you probably feel the same Absolutely. way, like so blessed to have godly women in our lives to to pick us up when we're down, pick yes. us up when we're angry. I'll catch myself getting angry at Caleb or Lucas and Joe's like, just calm down. You know, just a simple, soft voice yeah. of my wife saying, hey, it's OK. Calm mm-hmm. down. And it, it helps me. It helps me whenever I'm getting angry and stuff. So that's so awesome, man, that you've been able to have these encounters with these guys and, and bring them to the Lord. That's so cool. Yeah. It's really cool. And I'm super blessed with my wife, Leslie. And, you know, she always likes to tell everybody that God called me out of the friend zone when it comes to her. So when she does listen, she's going to hear, she's going to hear that part. Yes. She's like, I wish you wouldn't tell people that part, but it's funny because when me and Leslie, I've known Leslie a long time. We actually went to homecoming together. Like, sophomore year high school um Mm -hmm. but you know she went her separate way for a few years i went my separate way for a few years and when we reconnected this was all god because you have someone who's been sober like 14 months living in rehab um and then she's about to graduate with her master's degree as a physician assistant Mm. and like a few months well probably about a year when we first started meeting when we first uh, started hanging out and stuff and so like when you look at when you look at that from a worldly view like that does not make sense for this like well-established awesome woman to then start dating this dude in rehab you know everyone should have been like hey leslie um i don't know about this one you know um but it was all god and and uh she actually heard God speak audibly to her for the first time with my name whenever she was praying about her future husband. And and fun fact, I turned myself into jail February 2015 or 2018. February 15th, 2018, I turned myself into jail. And 
February of 2018, Leslie began to pray for a godly husband. Mm. And so, you know, look at the dates, man. It's not a coincidence. <laughs> My mom has a similar testimony of praying for a husband, and she had to do it twice. But praying, that, that's important for women out there to, at a young age or whatever age, to pray for God to give them the right person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that little testimony of y'all. That's so awesome, man. Yeah. That's so awesome. What, you know, that's the day after Valentine's Day. What what drove you to just go ahead and turn yourself in? Mm-hmm. Because in that season, you said there was a warrant out for your arrest? Yeah, yeah. I had a warrant out for my arrest. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a hard time for for me because I was going through this um, – these emotional up and downs constantly. Um, like I said, I had the worn out for my rest. It was really a nerve wracking experience. Every time a cop passed, I was like, Oh my gosh, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and this was in the middle of Calvert city. There's a uh, cops everywhere in Calvert. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what gave me. So that night I was in this trailer in Gilbertsville, Kentucky, old Gilbertsville. And, um, I was the only one in that room and I was sitting on the floor and I was crying because I was having a realization moment. Like I have this warrant for my arrest. My mom won't talk to me. My grandpa hates me. You know, I wouldn't say, Hey, um, he's old school, man. Right. You know, old school. Um, not mad. Just a surprise. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, no one, I've burned every bridge and here I am in this dope trailer Mm. and this voice audibly spoke to me as I'm sitting on the floor, called me by name and said, Garrett, what are you doing with your life? And it was at that moment when I heard that, that I packed my backpack of my broken flashlights and coloring books because, you know, I was doing meth. That's what everyone does when they're doing Mm. uh, meth. So I always like to say that when I'm teaching in the jail and and lifeline about my testimony, because that gets a a real good reaction. They all Mm. laugh and everything. But uh, I grabbed my backpack and I walked out the door at the back door of this trailer, bypassing all my friends and everything, because I was done. Mm. It was when I heard that, that I was filled with courage and strength Mm. and hope. And I walked out this door and my friend her name's Daria. She picked me up on the side of the road, took me to jail. I buzzed the buzzer. They're like, can we help you? And I was like, yeah, my name's Garrett Hunt. And I have a warrant for my arrest. And they're like, all right, come on in. Hmm. And you just hear the door un- unlock and I walk in there and dude, rest is history. Um, yeah. And I'm very thankful, very thankful for the Lord speaking to me. I know it was God at that time Yeah. when I look back on it now, you know, um, a lot of people a lot of people, I've heard a lot of testimonies of people getting words from God. It's always internally, but you've been specifying audibly. Yes. Like you heard a spoken word. That's so awesome. Yeah, it was it was a spoken word, and that was probably going to be the only thing that got my attention, mm. was getting me outside of my self-loathing, self-loathing and internal dialogue that was going on. You know, because I'll, I'll be honest, if something would have told me that, if the Lord would have spoke to me in my heart or in my mind during that time, mm. I probably would have just dismissed it, yeah. you know, or I probably would have just taken it like, I don't know. I'm just sitting here, you know, who mm. knows what would have happened, but it's like a Saul to Paul moment. 
You know, you, you read the stories in the Bible of, of these moments like that, mm-hmm. and you don't hear of them very often. So I love that that's a part of your testimony. Mm-hmm. And like, it really shows the importance of like God calling you to what you're going to do. I just feel like it was so important that he had to speak up and say something to you audibly to get to shake you, yeah. to rattle you. Yeah. And for you to have to, to, to honor and submit and hum- like humble yourself to that. I mean, that's truly just an, um, a miraculous change. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite the experience. Then you just start adding all the other experiences and I could share with them. I could share with you sometime, you know, mm-hmm. all the stuff that's God's used in my life just in the past five years, you know. Um, we didn't even get into sometime. like rehab. Yeah, there's or, a, there's so many. I mean, <laughs> yeah. maybe you'll come back on with me sometime. Absolutely. I'd love to. Yeah. Well, Garrett. I really appreciate you coming on. I'm really excited to see what God has in store for us. I feel like there's a friendship here. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, God, I'm just excited. I told you before, I'm excited to watch you and grow in your ministry and see what that looks like for you in the future. Because even if you were a little bit, you know, not sure about the youth and it kind of scared you even, it's just stepping stones, right? Ste- yeah. he, it's like we're in a ramp season. So he's just ramping you up into the full, whatever your full blown ministry looks like. Mm-hmm. And I told you that I've seen John as a pastor my entire life. And with you, I get to see you walk that out. Mm-hmm. And so I'm super excited. If you had one piece of advice for someone who maybe have been, has been in a position you were in struggling mm-hmm. with addiction, what would be the piece of advice you could give to them? Um, so I was told this one piece of advice when I was a junior in high school playing baseball by a coach that I could not stand and he couldn't stand me either. Um, mm-hmm. but he told me this one time, he said, Garrett, baseball is all about consistency. Mm. You're going to see the guys who are playing in the bigs. They can consistently hit the ball. Pitchers consistently throw strikes. The hitters, the infield, outfield, they consistently make the plays, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that was spoken to me about baseball, but that translates into our entire lives. Mm-hmm. Anything that we want to do um, is all about consistency. Um, I've lost 30 pounds since November of last year, mm-hmm. um, and it was because of consistency. Um, the Holy Spirit can bring more scripture to my memory because of my consistency in the word. Mm-hmm. I am sober over five years because of my consistency to stick and walk on this path of deliverance that the Lord has, has placed me on. Um, yes, Lord. Yeah. And so if there's anything that I could encourage anybody with, that if you want to see true change, there has to be a consistent action in order to see the change happen, you know. Yeah, I mean, you were like one of the only people I felt comfortable with telling about my addiction. And so knowing that you had walked through at least some similar things helped. And just I hadn't had a guy I could talk to in a long time. Uh, a guy a guy who I knew was like really f- like firm in his belief. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have very I have a few friends. I have a friend or two that I'm trying to convert and whatever, but I don't really have like very many uh, like-minded. Right. So for me to be able to reach out to you is huge and tell you, Hey man, I've been struggling with, with drinking. Yeah. And then basically after I texted you, I mean, it wasn't soon after that I was able to, it was like, I just needed to do that. Absolutely. To get over it. 
So awesome. um, thank you, man. Thank you again for coming on here with me. And uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. See ya.